2: the guardian
3: Before we start the show, we should warn listeners that this episode of Chips with Everything covers
4: topics that some might find upsetting. This game is based on actual events. <coughs> okay, so it's kind of it's black and white and you're this kind of stick figure guy walking through a city. That was a bomb. There's kind of basic platforming, so jumping on cars and things. Oh! Gunshots. In this bit you use a, like a bin, like a wheelie bin, as protection from bullets. And that was just to get to his house. The screams are from the the girl, Lila, who's the kind of main character. He's telling her and her mother to run and that he'll follow. They come to an ambulance. The father says, thank God, we are safe now. The ambulance says, we're full. We can only take one patient. And you only have one choice here. It says, I have no option. Please take my daughter. And then a plane drops a bomb on the ambulance. The man picks up Lila. She's dead. No matter how many times I play this game, I will never be able to save the main character, a young girl living in Gaza called Lila. We're used to the idea of playing video games as a form of escapism, a way to feel some kind of mastery Overcoming obstacles, solving problems, maybe saving the world, being a hero. But not all video games being developed these days are meant to make us feel like heroes. Some games offer no solutions, no way to get that happy ending, the satisfaction of a win. Often, that's because these games are based on real life. But why make a game about a difficult real-world situation? We already have media like documentaries, films and podcasts to start thought-provoking conversations with a wider audience. So what do video games have to offer?
3: The one who's playing a game, he is very dedicated to the, to the game and he thinks he's the one in control and he's the hero. And when he plays the game, he's more engaged than watching a movie or reading a
4: book. If you think of a video game, whether you're someone who plays them a lot or not, You probably think of a piece of entertainment that spirits the player away to a different place to live out a fantasy life far removed from the real world. But some video game developers don't want to offer that kind of escape. Far from presenting a fantasy narrative, they want to use the medium to show us real world situations, to help us understand. So can these kinds of games also help the developers? Can making a game about life in wartime be therapeutic for someone living through those circumstances themselves? Despite
5: all the laughs that I had when I, when I was a kid, when I said I want to work with, in, in the games industry, um, here I am, winning a, an award about a game that I helped a little bit with making it. And it was just so personal and emotional. Proudest tears I've ever cried.
4: I'm jordan Erica Weber, and this week I talk to video game developers who have lived in conflict areas and how they have chosen to use games to share their experiences with the world. This is Chips With Everything. Our first stop is the city of Ramallah in Palestine.
3: My name is Rashid Abadeh, I am from Palestine. I am I'm working as a software engineer and I make games in my free time.
4: Rashid spoke to us over Skype from his office in Ramallah. So you might hear some traffic noises in the background every now and then.
3: Living here in, in, in Ramallah or in Gaza, it's like, it's difficult. In any minutes, you you could be killed on the road because there is always a gun pointed to your head, loaded and pointed to your head. Now I'm in, in the office in Ramallah, so usually when there is clashes near us, we work with tear gas around us. So. Usually we work with, with with tear gas and we are crying, and we call that work under pressure.
4: Rashid thinks that not enough people are aware of what it's like to be a civilian in Palestine. So he made a game about it. It's set in Gaza, and it's called Lila.
3: It's a game about an emotional experience. It's about a little girl that lives in Gaza, and her father tries to to escape the war, to escape the bombing, the shooting. And this is actually what's what was happening at that war.
4: This game isn't easy to play, but Rashid was determined to make it, not just as someone who lives in Palestine, but as a father.
3: Because this is what actually happened in Gaza in Gazan 2014. And we, we were seeing a lot of pictures, like a father carrying his uh, the, the, the body of his killed son or daughter so and at that time I was also a father I have now four kids and even now I have like flashback memories whenever I carry one of my sons when he's sleeping what if he's killed not sleeping so I try to put the players in that experience to just give them an idea about that experience how we are living here in Palestine.
4: Rashid wants players to understand what civilians in Palestine, even young children like Lila, have experienced. So the game incorporates several events drawn directly from real life. They've come to a school. Lila says we should hide in the UNRWA school. I'm gonna say no again. An airplane just dropped a bomb on the school.
3: Yeah, it, it features some, uh, some real events like uh, the bombing of the uh, UN school, which was holding a lot of refugees at that time uh, with kids and families.
4: When I played the game, Lila and her mother both died. Does that always happen?
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there is only one ending uh, for this game.
4: Why did you decide to give the game that ending?
3: Because I can't see hope. Like, Because I would be cheating if I, if I made a different ending. This is what's, what's really happening. And this is what I really want everybody to know.
4: Rashid was determined to tell this story. But he needed help to do it. In the West Bank, this isn't easy to find.
3: Like, for example, making games or making art is not an essential thing to do when you are living in a country that you have to live as a survival. So uh, finding the talent, finding the experience that you need is not easy. So I try to work with people around the world remotely. And also making games is expensive. And I try to make this game with zero budget. So everybody works on that game was uh, just volunteering.
4: Even when the game was finished, Rashid and the team faced challenges.
3: Like you are, you are not allowed to do games in Palestine by nature. The market is not open for you. You cannot sell your games because the Palestinian banks and Palestine in general is not recognized as a country. So the stores will not recognize your bank. And this is what happened with me, uh, with the app store.
4: Rashid could have made a documentary or a film about the lives of young children and their families in the West Bank. But he chose to spread his message through a video game.
3: I think uh, games is the best medium to share experience and to share a message for people. The one who's playing a game, he is very dedicated to the, to the game and he think he's the one in control and he's the hero. And when he plays the game, he's more engaged than watching a movie or reading a book.
4: So is it important then that in your game, there is no hero and you're not able to save lila is that why you did it because players go into it thinking that they are the hero and they can save the world but then they can't
3: so usually you are a hero you you save the day in the games but actually in the war and in reality there is no heroes anymore. like the heroes actually the the, uh, the civilians
4: have your children played the game yes what did they think
3: this is the the question why they killed her. She did not do anything wrong. And I couldn't answer that. I made the game and I don't have an answer for that.
4: Since the release of Lila, Rashid has found himself with an international audience who want to hear what he has to say. For example, some of you listening might not know that the VNA has a new exhibition about video games which features, among many other things, a series of interviews with game developers and critics. I'm one of them, and so is Rashid. I wanted to know what kinds of things he was using platforms like this to share, what he wanted people who make and play games to know.
3: If they are a game, a game designer or uh, someone he, he's making games and he is having uh, a hard time in making his own game as an indie or as a triple A you should look at my experience and say, I can do it. And if you are um, a player or even a game designer, that you can make uh, an emotional impact from a small game. You don't have to make a big game. And for everyone else, I, I would like to share our point of view, our story about the world that we are living in.
4: Of course, Palestine isn't the only place experiencing conflict. After the break, we'll talk to a young man who fled Syria for Austria, and is now working with developers to make a game about his flight.
5: It made my life much better, because every time I see myself in the game, I remember where I came from and how bad my life was, so I'll be happy again no matter what, no matter no matter what's happening in my life, if it's after a breakup or anything, I remember what's really important in life.
4: More on that after this short break.
0: Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing.
1: Last year, The Guardian tracked all the deaths of young people due to knife crime and explored the themes that emerged in an award-winning series called Beyond the Blade. Why are they carrying a knife in an area where they know people but they feel that they have to acquit themselves from other people? We saw many people suffering, but we also saw many fighting back. We've got to start looking at how... We talk and how we generalise and how we categorise just ordinary people that are poorer than other people or people who don't have as much as other people. For this new series, journalists from The Guardian travel to Bristol, Birmingham and Croydon in South London to listen to some of those people.
0: Society tends to look down at young people once they've made a wrong choice and what we're saying by that is that we're writing them off.
1: And rather than report on their conversations, we let them speak for themselves. When I come out of jail, I'd never been praised before I'd turned my life around. And when I come out and got praised for the work that I was doing, I thrived. That gap needs to be built up a, a bit sooner, you know? As opposed to... Yeah, just waiting to hear from from me because I'm waiting to hear from the next generation as well. So we're all waiting and there's no, like, action happening, happening, happening.
0: If families are fractured, that has an impact on a young person. If a father and a mother get divorced, that has an impact on our young people. And I think the only way they know how to make people sit up and say, listen, there's a real problem going on here... Is by violence.
1: To listen to all three episodes, head over to theguardian.com forward slash podcasts or subscribe by searching Beyond the Blade on your favourite podcast app.
4: Welcome back to Chips of Everything. I'm Jordan Erica Weber. Before the break, we spoke to Rashid Abuida, a software engineer who developed a short video game in which the player tries to help a young girl called Lila escape Gaza and its guns and bombs. Rashid explained that this game was an attempt to show the rest of the world what it's really like to live in Palestine. Can you hear me?
5: Hey, oh, Thanks.
4: Great. Next, we're off to Salzburg in Austria, where our producer Danielle spoke to a Syrian refugee who ended up becoming a video game protagonist.
5: My name is Abdullah Karam. I'm the protagonist of the game Path Out. I'm also an illustrator. I I do a lot of graphics. Um, I'm doing right now an apprenticeship in Salzburg uh, to be an IT expert uh, in
4: a year. Danielle called Abdullah on Skype while he was on a break from his apprenticeship. And tell us which room in the building are you talking to us from now? It's the bathroom. As he mentioned, the only quiet spot Abdullah could find was the bathroom. So you might hear some sounds of doors opening and closing. After he got settled, Abdullah told us a little bit more about what it was like to grow up in Syria.
5: So I grew up basically just playing video games, especially in the war uh, war era, uh, as I was 14, 15, 16. The only thing that kind of made me escape the world that I, that I live in we video games. That's actually the culture that we live in in Syria. Everybody's playing video games.
4: Many parents try to stop their children from playing video games all day. But Abdullah's mother encouraged him as a means of protection.
5: So she bought us a PlayStation just to, to stay home, to keep us out from the streets. But she didn't know what she did. You know, video games taught me a lot, taught me a lot. One of, one of the things that video games told me is English, for example.
4: Apparently, Abdullah's city, Hammer has featured in video games before in the Assassin's Creed series. Abdullah remembers the real city as a welcoming one, and says he misses its people a lot. But when he turned 18, he decided to leave.
5: You see, when you're 18 in Syria and you finish your high school, but your grades weren't so good because of video games, it came clear to you that you don't want to go anywhere else than the military. It's the only option that you have. So I decided to flee the country and that was the decision from my father and my mother. I didn't know what's happening. I was just a kid. As you, as you can actually play in path you could see how much uh, a kid I was. Like, they would tell me, pack your most important stuff. And I would ask him, can I take my Xbox with me?
4: <laughs> so after packing his bags, Abdullah made the first of many dangerous journeys to join his brother in Turkey. From there, the brothers made it to Salzburg in Austria, where, in a weird turn of events, Abdullah met the co-founder of Kausa Creations, George Hobmeyer. One day over breakfast, George asked Abdullah if he would like to be the protagonist in one of the company's games. Abdullah said yes, and Path Out was born.
5: You're playing this guy who was at the age of 18 and he had to flee his country totally. And you're facing all of these challenges in his perspective as being a...
4: The challenges you face throughout the game vary in difficulty.
5: Without spoiling the game, you have first of all to do the pretty easy stuff, like getting a lamp when when the electricity is off, getting more information about the environment in Syria. But the biggest challenge is actually uh, getting through the borders and through the mines and getting through ISIS. I don't want to talk a lot. (laughs) There you go, dead again.
4: As you play, especially if you mess up, real-life footage of Abdullah appears in the corner of the screen. And much like a YouTuber, he narrates the scene to provide context.
5: That's a very kitschy version of a Syrian courtyard. You know, you would find this in, in the old part of the city. But my home was a little bit more modern than this, but sure, enjoy the cliches. And we kind of wanted to share a perspective with a player that um, kind of make them laugh, although the subject is pretty serious. So we wanted to build a connection, we wanted to build an audience, we wanted to build a big friendship between the player and actually the character. And uh, to be honest, this is kind of the soul of the
4: game. Just like Rashid, Abdullah's game is geared towards players of all ages, even young children.
5: We wanted to share the game with everyone, even kids. So this, this game can also be used in schools and so on.
3: Do you think it would help people understand refugees more? if they played games like this?
5: Sure thing, I'm pretty sure about it. That's the main goal of the game and that's why the game is free. To share this perspective and to tell everybody, no matter how much the bad image you have in your head about refugees, here's another one.
4: I'd like to thank Rashid Abuida and Abdullah Karam for joining us on the show this week. There will be a link to both Lila and Path Out on this week's episode description on the Guardian website. I want to hear your thoughts, so send me an email at chipspodcast at theguardian.com. That's all for this week. I'm Jordan Erica Webber. Thanks for listening. For more great podcasts from
2: The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit makes these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage.